It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. I'm out in Oakwood, high above my house in the Brecon Beacons, and I'm just listening to a wood warbler and a red start for that long trill, descending, sort of spinning. There it is. People say it's like a spinning coin on a plate. There's a crow. There's a song thrush and there's all sorts of wonderful birds singing. It's early May. Welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. And my name is Fergus Collins. I'm the host of the podcast and I'm an avid wood warbler listener. And welcome to season 12, which is where we're enjoying the sounds of wild Britain, particularly birdsong during this spring and summer in Britain. and um, But it's not wood warblers we're in search of today, but something even more, even rarer and more magical. We sent two of my colleagues, Tanya and Maria, off to a woodland in Sussex with the great folk singer Sam Lee to find nightingales. And what you're about to hear is a truly magical experience, blending song wonderful violin playing and the wild voices of the most amazing birdsong you can hear in Britain. But for now, we just have a little bit more wood warbler before we head to Sussex. Hello. I'm Tanya Jackson, and I'm here with Maria Hodson. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We've slightly got the giggles, (laughs) because we're standing in the most unbelievably beautiful secret location in the middle of a bluebell wood, not a Spanish bluebell in sight. And we are here to sing with nightingales, or hear other people sing with nightingales. Um, It's a very special event organised by Sam Lee, who is a folk song collector and musician and gosh he has so many strings to his bow but tonight he's going to be a performer for us and it's quite exciting because we're going to go into the woods and hear some nightingales and there's a bit of an evening chorus isn't there yeah it's a lovely evening chorus and there's real lushness of color with both the bluebells and the little yellow primulas mm. and these white ones yeah well, these white ones yeah, they're very delicate, aren't they? Secret to East Should Sussex. use my special plant identifier app. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Which comes in handy sometimes. As we're walking through, there is a glorious sunset do, um, through the silhouette of the beach trees. And the hub of people getting to know yeah, each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Here> gathered. <laughs> right, I'm gathering because there's a big gang of us, so, um, yeah, we can all kind of pile in. I got to thought we'd just start by having a little moment here listening to the evening chorus it's kind of beginning to progress its way louder or quieter I'm not sure where we are just yet but just have a few moments and while we're listening if you can and some of you might be really good with birds but have a listen to how many different songs you can hear um, different species of birds you can pick out
what, how many, how many different birds have we pulled out, JP? Twenty-four. <laughs> 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 wow. Could you now point to all twenty-four of those different birds? I had some there, 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 some there. I have my 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 protege here. You'll be leading this gig next year, I reckon. Anyone up on twenty-four? <laughs> <laughs> um, any names that you can recognise? Long-tailed tit. Long-tailed tit. Very good. Sharp ears. Chiff chaff. Over there. Song thrush. Song thrush. Not sure where, but just that's what my intuition said. Yeah. There was a really interesting one bubbling away over there. Did anyone? Was that a pheasant? Yeah. <laughs> Distant pheasant. We did have a pheasant. Yeah, I saw pheasants flying. Yeah. yeah. But there was one singing in the bush. Yeah. There's a pheasant. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were talking about it. Yeah. 35. 35. <laughs> Over there, um, a recent arrival of only a few days ago is the black cap, which has just landed and they are often called the kind of the false nightingale or the kind of up, up north where they don't have nightingales. They're sort of considered nightingale-like and often get called the northern nightingale. Um, Passerines or songbirds are very much aware of where we are in the cycle of the day and they're very perceptive in extraordinary ways because even if it's a really grey wet day and you can't really see that it's beginning to get darker they're very aware of when it's time to start the evening chorus and likewise if you were to listen down on somewhere on the other side of the earth um, you'd see that uh, you'd hear this enormous wave of song much larger than the dawn chorus is much more prolific and pronounced and right now I'm sure many of you are being woken up at about 4.30, quarter to five, uh, it's cacophonous. And there is no better place to hear the dawn chorus than southern England. It's one of the most profound uh, places. A lot of the birders will just say, this is, this is the time of year and the place to be. Nighttime is when a lot of the birds migrate uh, and will be arriving in from, you know, from their travels or looking for new territory. So it's a time of uncertainty, the night. And then and in the morning, uh, after a, a, a night where it can get very cold and birds expend a lot of energy, they're very excited about feeding and also making sure they haven't been moved out by a rival male. So the dawn chorus is a much more kind of pronounced, aggressive, this is me and this is where I am. This is a particularly prolific uh, bird habitat and I wondered if anyone noticed what's going on here in the landscape to kind of hint at why it might be so very bird friendly and have so many different species. Young trees? Yes, coppicing. It's a very important uh, um, concept that um, has its roots in our ancient ancestors. And in fact, I don't know if any of you have been to the Stonehenge exhibition at the British Museum. Extraordinary. Uh, extraordinary show worth seeing but in there they have uh, an amazing display which is the oldest known bit of coppicing now this sounds like oh, it's just a bit of wood what does that mean it's mesolithic which means that it's harvested wood that goes back pre-agricultural times which means we've been working with woods and um, being able to grow wood to measure long before we've been growing crops so this is what's going on, and in places like this, it's prime habitat for nightingales. They love this dense scrub coppice and overgrown, thorny, impenetrable to other species. So they will return to their nascent spot within about 200 yards, and birds have an incredible, you know, they, they'll be born and they will find their way all the way to Senegal, Sierra Leone, somewhere they've never been. They don't fly in company, in flocks, so they do it alone using a kind of multi-layered navigation system. It's three navigation systems, they use the stars, um, and they always, you know, they'll always, which is partly why they fly at night. Cuckoos, for instance, fly at the height of a passenger aeroplane. So they're like really super high flyers, so they'll make sure they have the, be able to see stars. They use the sun during the day if they're flying, uh, so they'll know they're absolutely their kind of GPS spot. And they also use, uh, they have a kind of, we think, a sort of chemical 
capability to read the magnetic uh, map of the Earth. We still don't quite know how, whether it's a chemical reaction in birds' brains that creates a set, a sort of, a sort of ability to read, whether they have magnetic compounds, kind of like uh, the particles in their brains that we're still trying to work out how they actually manage to read the magnetism. But yeah, so, but if they get there and they find another male has taken their territory, they then have to go looking. So that's where the dispersal happens and how increase in habitat uh, in numbers will happen. But at the moment, it's not happening so much. <laughs> how long does nightingales live for? About, in the wild, about four or five years. Um, in captivity, they can live up to seven years. But very few captive nightingales, yeah. These words were composed by Spencer the Rover, who traveled most parts of Great Britain and Wales. He had been so reduced, which caused great confusion. And that was the reason he went on the In Yorkshire, near Rotherham, he had been on his rambles. Being weary of travelling, he sat himself down. At the foot of yonder mountain, there runs a clear fountain. With bread and cool water, he himself did refresh and it tasted more sweeter than the gold he had squandered more sweeter than honey and gave more content but the thoughts of his baby lamenting their father brought tears to his eyes and made him lament well the night fast approaching to the woods he resorted with woodbine and ivy his bed for to make. There he dreamt about crying, lamenting and sighing. Go home to your family and your ramblings forsake. On the 5th of November, I've a reason to remember When first he arrived at his family's front door Well, they looked so surprised when first he arrived To behold such a stranger once more in their sight and his children came around him with their brittle prattling stories with their brittle prattling stories to drive care away now they are united like birds of one feather 
Like bees in one hive, contented they'll be, contented they'll be, and go rambling no Ballad of Spencer the Rover. No, no, shh. No clapping <laughs> allowed or necessary. Uh, this is not a concert. <laughs> and we shan't clap with the nightingales. So, um, but thank you for the, uh, the intention. In many ways, the, 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 the nightingale, as I always say, his song is the decoration of silence. And in this old time that we're in, uh, in this old way, um, applause is, is of another realm um, and sometimes the silences that hang after the nightingale song after these old songs is as much part of the song itself but that is a, a local traditional uh, piece called Spencer the Rover from the Copper family who I'm sure some of you have come across the Coppers still singing the songs in their family uh, the Sussex Downland uh, shepherding songs um, They've been singing since the 1600s, they can claim, passing the songs down from generation to generation. And I'm called to start with Spencer the Rover because it's, it has at its heart something that's very um, central to tonight and what we are, what we're here for. Um, it's a very unusual song that it speaks about something that's not really mentioned anywhere else in other folk songs, and that's of depression, of mental health. The, the, the line is much reduced and confused. It's kind of old speak for a man who is, yeah, on hard times, he's squandered his riches, he's left his family, he's an itinerant, he's wandering the country alone and bereft. And the themes are within it are firstly about the, the, um, the healing power of nature. Um, he's called into the woods uh, he receives this water from the mountain, from this spring, and he goes into the woods by night. And there he's encased in woodbine and ivy, in the honeysuckle and the ivy. This, I kind of see this like a cocoon that is created around him, this cot. And in there he goes on what you could sort of interpret as a shamanic journey of purging of his ills and a restoration of his senses. And it's very curious in this song, this voice comes in saying, go home to your family and your ramblings forsake. And there's no saying of whose voice that is. Is that some sort of God? Is that his inner conscience or inner consciousness? Or is that the forest itself speaking? We don't really know. Um, but nonetheless, the wisdom is there, is offered and, and he goes home. And that's the other theme in this song, and it's the theme of what's going on right now, is this calling, calling home. Um, and right now, the land around us is doing this wondrous urge, this movement, this shift. Things are being called up and out, back into their place of life. And the nightingales and other migratory birds are also on there. Um, on this journey, some of them have, have arrived, some of the birds have arrived, some are still coming, but that calling back to a sense of place um, has been felt somewhere in February, um, many thousands of miles away on the, on the banks of rivers in the scrub, the riparian scrub of Sierra Leone and Guinea-Bissau and Senegal, and, um, and all along that kind of wet and and forested parts of sub-Saharan Africa somewhere in late February this emotion was felt this urge for going was called and all the nightingales and all the turtle doves and the cuckoos and many others suddenly lifted off a branch and started to travel and the same thing happened to me but it was only an hour and a half on the A2 <laughs> <laughs> and this whole experience really does centre around the fire and I want to bring the fire in and just sort of honour honour the fire for all it's given us, its 
cooked our food, it's boiled our water, it's given us light and heat. This would be a very miserable night without the fire. Um, and it's central to our story in many ways because um, it is around these flames that our ancient ancestors, our forefathers and mothers sat. We forged all of our, our intelligence, our intellect, our philosophies, our religions, our speech and our songs, of which all were once one and the same, our mythologies, our whole imagination has been forged within these flames. And I want to link back to the, the coppicing, because I was talking about how coppicing creates this amazing habitat for birds, and the fire, this is a hungry child we're sitting around, you know, this needs a lot of wood, you know, our log pile there does not last long, so we need to kind of keep coppicing, keep creating this habitat, so we would live in close proximity to Nightingale. Indeed, still in Europe, you know, Nightingale's live in central cities. Berlin has 1,500 pairs of nightingales come every year. It, every lamppost and traffic light is dripping with a nightingale singing. Um, but in older times when we had hundreds of thousands in this country, they were everywhere. And one day, around the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th of April, they returned and they'd appear just as everything started to bloom. They knew exactly when to catch that first warm southeasterly wind up from France to cross the channel and burst into song as soon as they're here, the males into their courtship song. And this would happen at this time of great happiness and rejoicement. So for all those tens of thousands of years and perhaps even longer, their song has serenaded us through these glorious moments of the year some say the happiest moment, time of the year. I'm gonna stop for a moment because you've been listening a lot to me speak and I want to bring in this extraordinary musician here, Anna Phoebe, to come and serenade us with your music.
I want to clap so hard right now, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've said lots of the history and the kind of celebration and the sort of the, the adoration of the bird, but actually the situation right now is that um, there are only about five and a half thousand pairs left in this country. Um, probably less than that actually, because that's an old figure. You haven't counted them for a few years. Um, it's down from the hundreds of thousands that there used to be. I think the current estimation is that they will go extinct in, this, in England by about 40 years from now. I think the reality is that they'll probably disappear much sooner than that and not because of issues of habitat loss here which is their big issue and the impact of deer on their habitat and insect crash uh, you know loss of insect life um, but actually it's because their their homes in sub-saharan africa are in great peril right now with climate change and what we're probably going to find is that there'll be years where huge sways of the nightingales don't get enough feed um, in the winter and simply aren't able to make the journey back as often they do they perish on the journeys don't have enough fat reserves can't make the journey they simply can't fly far enough um, and we are living in this great age of extinction and birds like the nightingale and the cuckoo and the turtle dove are in enormous peril right now um, and maybe that in my and our lifetimes we see and hear the last of these birds sing um, uh, this is why I do this project because in these times of uncertainty of what the future might hold one of the things I think we need to do in our practice is love nature that bit harder love what we have celebrate it while it's here the great tragedy for me would be that these birds disappear into a into history, into silence, without anybody really noticing it. Um, and so few people know what the nightingale song sounds like. Who here has ever heard a nightingale before? Can I, I'd be interested to hear, see, see your hands raised if you have heard a nightingale. Only about three or four of us. Yeah. The song is a very extraordinary song. Um, and what we're hearing, what we hope to hear tonight, and I can't guarantee we're going to hear a nightingale, this is their peak season. So their males have returned and they instantly start singing. I know that with it getting a bit cold at night, we'll see what happens, but there's about three or four that we've been listening to over the last week. Um, but it's the males that are singing. Um, you might, if you're lucky, hear a female do, who does the croak to let them know and the females are migrating over to um, to listen down for the males so they come over and when they find a, a man that they like the song of they'll listen to him for a few nights then they'll come and inspect his his territory to see if he's got good good turf lots of food um, and they'll do a little kind of courtship dance and um, and then eventually they'll mate and the minute he mates with the female he stops singing so if they aren't singing tonight, it's maybe because they've all gotten lucky really early on. <laughs> Whereas come end of May when we're here doing the thing with nightingales and there's the males still going for it, we know they're the ones that are really unlucky. <laughs> they've had no luck. So, um, it's getting late and I sort of feel like maybe we should start making our way down soon. Excuse me, I'm just going to have a look. Ah, bang on time. It's quarter to eleven and they usually start singing about 11, just past 11. But we're going to go on this journey, firstly, in complete silence. So we just have that opportunity to go on this kind of, you know, into our own journey without distraction of other people, supporting each other in, in, our, in our silence.
One morning in May I spied a young couple so sweet they did play One was a fair maid and a beauty so rare, and the other was a soldier and a brave grenadier. And they kiss so sweet and comforting as they
they clung to each other. They went on when I'm along the road Like sister and brother They went on and I'm along the road Till they came to a spring And they both sat down together, love To hear the nightingale sing
rumeur montée du sol, en entendant le rossignol. La rumeur montée du sol, en entendant le rossignol.
it is the morning after singing with nightingales and we are here in this idyllic woodland and there's a pheasant rustling around in the bluebells in front of us and you can hear all the bird songs of the morning as they've taken over from the stillness of the night and the nightingale. It is absolutely gorgeous here even though we have the sound of chopping wood with a chainsaw in the background. <laughs> what you expect in a coppiced woodland, isn't it? Absolutely. It's so inspiring to be here. And the smell of wood smoke again. Just something quite primal about wood smoke, I yes, think. It takes you back, doesn't it? To such a sort of be before, before our lives. Yeah. So, as you will have heard last night, the nightingales were not as vocal as we thought they might be. They were a little shy. A little shy. But, but, but there was a consensus that it felt very much that they were watching and listening yes. to our group. Our impressively still group, I must say. We were asked to be silent and I thought, generally, apart from the rumbling tummies that you, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, not from hunger. It was, um, it was a delicious We'd all been very meal. well fed. Yes. Following a campfire feast. Mm. Um, and it was interesting listening to the nightingale occasionally respond to Sam and Anna and yes. his music. Yeah. Just, just once in a while, a little call back. I was surprised how loud they were. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, it, you know, you're sort of imagining, oh, duetting with a bird with a violin. It's going to be very, you know, very high-pitched, tender notes, very delicate performance and and it was there were lots of kind of very gentle high strings harmonics lots of lovely I mean Sam opened with some Mongolian overtones um, like throat singing which gave that sort of harmonic register at the same time as this kind of and you could hear the little delicate melody and then suddenly out of nowhere came this belt of bird song <laughs> it was like a lot i automatically look round for somebody with a bird whistle yeah <laughs> but it, that it can't be from a tiny tiny avian creature yeah, yeah. i didn't sam say it's 90 decibels or something that the yes. bluebell sing about which is bluebell, bluebell. <laughs> yeah lots of there <laughs> are lots of bluebells everywhere you look there are bluebells. Very loud bluebells. <laughs> Always creating havoc. It's a right. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Nightingales. I think the bluebells did release all their scent last night, but I was, I don't know about you, but I was so concentrating on being utterly silent as we walked, I didn't really notice. I have to say, my concentration for the majority of the walk was on my... Um, not tripping over because I, my night vision is not what I hoped it might be and I realised I also do really rely on my vision for my balance so it's very good practice to, um, to just with, feel with your feet yes. where you can put your weight and so on and have to do it without using sight gosh now what yeah it's been quite an escape hasn't it oh it's been wonderful yeah I think both we both have families so to be on our own camping feel very feels very empowering and very much you know freeing freeing yeah a real adventure well that was one of the most enchanting most beautiful bits of audio we've ever had in three and a half years of the podcast and i mean before i go any further i'm just very glad to say that tanya who recorded all of that with sam lee and our other colleague maria in the forest has joined us in the podcast studio with regular podcast friends Hannah and Jack. Lovely to see you all. Hello. But, uh, Tanya, what an experience. Yes. How are you feeling about it all? Was it right, as magical as it sounds on that? It, it really was. It's like, it felt like a kind of a reset of my whole soul. Oh, wow. It really yeah. did. The whole experience of using night vision, of being just completely immersed in, in nature at night, which is something I, as a woman I rarely get to do, sitting around a campfire, being completely away from any artificial light, and then hearing nightingales. Yeah, it was amazing. Totally spellbinding, totally spellbinding. When you get that, when, you, when Sam finished that song, it's, 
towards a bit towards the end of the podcast, but when he finishes that song and says, and hear the voice of the nightingale, and then it comes in straight away after he finishes. That's so just, you heard more nightingales later, is that right? Yes. Only in, in small kind of peals, yeah. It, well, we didn't get a, a big chorus, really. We just had the one that was responding to the music, and he'd do kind of one line and then fall silent for a while. That's amazing that it was yeah. responding to the music, that mm. it was it was actually was answering the... Mm. That was astonishing. And the, and the violin in the woods also seemed to tease the nightingale into song, um, which is... We've previously talked on the podcast, Jack, Hannah and I, about the very famous cello duet with a nightingale back in the 1920s with Beatrice Harrison, uh, which has recently been revealed uh, as... <laughs> having been faked but this was genuine duets mm. with with um with with the with the wild birds it was it pained me when he said that there were hundreds of thousands of them in britain at one time not you know within probably our great grandparents grandparents within their their time now we're down to 5000 pairs which is you know just a tiny tiny fraction really hard to find and as long-term listeners will know, I've I've tried a few times on the podcast to find nightingales with no success. Hannah, have you ever? Uh, never, never. Like cuckoos, like it's cuckoos. Just, just hasn't oh. happened for me. Oh my goodness! We've got to do something about it. How about you? I should say, Jack. Uh, poor Jack. <laughs> poor Jack. Poor Jack is suffering at home from COVID, so we have to look at him on a screen while the three of us are in the studio. <laughs> Jack, Jack, any nightingales to cheer you up? I don't think I've heard them. Uh, I've heard the song Nightingale in Berkeley Square, but that's probably the closest I've ever got. <laughs> there are some in Gloucestershire, not many, but there are, so where, where you live. So, but, Tanya, back to your experience, how just how dark was it? Because you weren't allowed any torches or any phone lights or anything like that. That's right, yeah. It, it, was, it was very starry, actually. Um, it was a clear night, and we were heading towards silhouettes, really. You couldn't see the ground, and it was quite uneven. But, yeah, I don't think I've ever used my night vision in that way before, ever. Really? Actually, Gosh. Yeah. Um, because on a campsite, you've, you've often got a torch, and you just, you just use them because you've got them. But it was, it was an amazing experience to be in this whole group of people that were all completely silent, all wearing non-rustly clothes. Well, almost all. Almost all. There's, there's always one <laughs> sinner. <laughs> yeah. No one fell over. So that's good. Really. I liked the way that Sam drew everyone into the show by beginning to sing while everyone was chattering. But it's not really that weird for me, really, because I've been to a lot of folk nights, and that's kind You're, of. We should what say you that do. you are a you have you are a singer or have been a. a <laughs> I yeah I I have done a bit of folk singing and I know Sam through being at folk clubs and you know being at each other's events and oh really so you've, various you've, you've oh, okay so you're part of the folk singing scene uh, Hannah's our resident nightingale but we haven't recorded her, <laughs> I haven't recorded her singing yet but um, you haven't paid me enough for that <laughs> <laughs> happy surrender I've heard them in places like Mallorca where they're really common like common wow. as we as we would have them. You know, back as, as, as Sam was saying, generations ago, and you can just walk from your villa down to the market, and they sing in the daytime as well. There, so Gosh. it's really oh. extraordinary. And then there are things in Mallorca like hoopoos and stone curlews, mm. just sort of hanging out. And it's really <laughs> like, why don't we have these things just hanging out around us? Maybe they go in. Maybe in Mallorca they say, I wish we had blackbirds, and I wish we had yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so spoiled. <laughs> But they do have them. Sam organises these around the country, around Nightingale country anyway. He does. I believe it's two locations. So there's the, the location in Sussex and there's one in the Cotswolds, I think. I think it's the Cotswolds. Oh, maybe it's the place I went to or somewhere similar because those water parks, they're sort of gravel pits f surrounded by scrub. So they are man-made, but they've been scrubbed up and right. sort of rewilded. And they're really good for well, birds love scrub. Mm. Humans hate scrub. Birds love scrub, <laughs> and that's where they they hang out. Mm. Lots of food by the water. So maybe it's the same place. That would be really cool. Tanya, we as a as a as a new guest on the podcast, we have a little section where we 
tell everyone what we've been up to. Well, we share our, what we've been doing wildlife-wise. Have you been anywhere else and done anything else? You, you live in a marvellous part of the world, I should say. So I'm very lucky. I live in the Vale of Pusey and we can get to lots of fantastic places quite easily on the weekend. So on Monday we went to Laycock and did a lovely walk in the hills above there. And it's great at this time of year because all the crows can be seen attacking red kites that are coming near. And they don't just kind of fly near them threateningly, they really bash into them. And that's quite something when you see such a big bird of prey, isn't it? Proper sort of aerial battles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, buzzards and red kites are predators of crow chicks. People often think, oh, there's too many kites, too many crows, but they actually do sort of counter each other's numbers. But that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant sighting. Yeah, it's Laycock in the Cotswolds, isn't it? Sort of like a, it's where every period drama is filmed, it seems to yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A very beautiful place. Hannah, have you? Ooh, well, what? regular listeners will know that last week we went uh, to an awards ceremony. Oh, um, yes. The in update. that big London. We were not successful. Well, However, we, we had... We were second. <laughs> <laughs> we could have been second. We had a lovely time regardless. Yeah. Um, and following on from that delightful evening, I spent the day in London and saw the parakeets. And I know that people in London are like, oh, they're just parakeets. But I find it absolutely baffling that they are happy there and just hang out there. It's like, it's such a joy to see them just bright green streaking across the sky. It is amazing, isn't yeah. it? They're, they're ring-necked or rose-ringed parakeets. I think this has got two names. Brilliant. I remember them when I lived in London. Just the numbers weren't quite as high as they are now, but are an outrageous squawking they mm. do. And then these long-tailed green tropical birds all over the city and people don't seem to pass them. No, really. They're not like pointing at these things. I think they're just like completely out of place. They're regarded as pests, I think, now in some places. But uh, that's rather typical that anything it does well is sort of, ah, we must stop it. (laughs) It's like you earlier saying that blackbirds and dunnocks are boring. (laughs) Not boring. (laughs) Not boring. Just... I just want something more exciting. The people of Mallorca might want our <laughs> blackbirds to counter all their hoopoos. <laughs> um, Jack, how about you? Any 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 news from uh, the, the wilds of South Gloucestershire? Well, uh, I haven't been out much because of my situation. Oh, of course, yes. I, <laughs> well, however, oh, I have still got a, a, a little story from a, my local area, and it's fresh. This was just... I live very close to a couple of commons, and one of the commons has a big herd of cows on it usually, but someone forgot to close the gate. So around my local area, around 60 cows oh my God. were making their way around, having a bit of a fun time. Uh, I think they visited the, the local high street, uh, they popped to school. Uh, by the night, I think 10 o'clock in the evening, they, were, they had headed to the pub. Um, <laughs> and it, it turned out that the police got involved helping to try and uh, get them all. And uh, I think throughout the night, there were cows being picked up and taken back. Yeah, drunk, uh, yeah, in the back of the wagon. They did have a lovely little uh, rummage around the local area, oh. which was uh, oh, nice to see them getting out and about. Well, yeah, that's some. Oh, that's gives gives walkers in the countryside a bad name on this <laughs> gate leaving open. But um, how's the rabbit? The rabbit's still around. Good. Uh, we we thought he might have something might have happened because we didn't see him for a few days and we mm-hmm. were getting a bit worried. And in our in our garden, you have like a little shrub in the middle of the sort of grass, uh-huh. but it has sort of where it's planted in a bucket. There's sort of a ring of dirt around it, if that makes sense. Apparently, that ring of dirt is perfectly rabbit sized because oh. now the rabbit just sits in the little hole. Oh. I just chills out there for a bit and we walked past and uh, we were like, I just turned around and spotted him sat in there. So now, yeah, we keep seeing him again and now he seems to have his nice little comfy uh, snooze snooze patch. <laughs> I'm so glad. He's totally settled in. Oh, well, that's the, the news of cows and rabbits from South Gloucester. Thank you very much, Jack, for that <laughs> bulletin. Back to you um, in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else have we got today? We've got, oh, well, I have... Thanks for asking. I've also been out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went up onto the hills uh, and looking for cookies and I found one. So I'm going to just insist on having an editor's choice sound of the week. But we do have a listener's sound of the week as well. But I I want you to listen to this just because you said you you hadn't heard a cookie.
So that's a buzzard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's the second cuckoo I've heard this year. But Hannah, I wonder if you'd introduce our Yes, special. I have one here from a listener whose name is Kevin Weller. And they say, good morning, podcast team. Whilst out this weekend walking in my village of East Morling in Kent, I got to a point where I could hear the stream and the church bells ringing. Terrific. That's amazing. Um, It reminds me of um, when you hear about uh, villages being kind of submerged underwater. It's got those sorts <laughs> <That's> of vibes. <laughs> With just the bells ringing yeah. above the water. It's a good sound. Um, one we actually haven't captured in the podcast very often. There's just not a lot of church towers with bells where I live. It's a very essential sound of, of particularly the English countryside, particularly on Saturday when people are getting married or mm-hmm. whatever. You hear it peeling out across the across the land. I grew up in a house in Somerset with a uh, with a church next door, and it used to make us cry. The bells, oh, <laughs> it was so loud, oh, so loud. Yeah, oh, it was like you. this incredible. I can just remember <laughs> having to be taken inside, oh. <laughs> and the doors and windows shut till the bells stopped. <laughs> but it is a beautiful sound and a very unique sound to to. to British countryside, or particularly English countryside. So that's it. What a range of sounds from the beauty of nightingales, human voices and violins to the peal of bells and the mooing of cows. Thank you, Tanya, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. And that's just a magical, magical recording. May there be many more. And thank you, Hannah and Jack. Love to see you all. Thank you for having us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. And join us again next week where we'll be out in the new forest listening to more birdsong. But for now, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.